so Easter is only a week away and we've decided to take the next couple of weeks um, to explain how Mark's gospel tells us the Christian good news. Um, Mark's gospel is in the Bible and it's one of the four books of the Bible that tell us about Jesus's life. And this week, I'm going to give an overview of the first half of Mark's gospel, explaining how it helps us better understand Jesus. And next week, Rui, one of our regular speakers, is going to explain the second half of Mark. Um, so let me start by praying. Um, and then I'm going to read the, 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 the fantastic opening of the, the gospel of Mark to everyone. So let me pray. Father God, uh, you are so good to us. We praise you for this time of fellowship that we can have, uh, where so, so many of us can set this time uh, aside um, and, uh, and see how, um, how important it is um, to fellowship together. Lord God, I pray and I ask that in our fellowship, uh, we would rejoice, rejoice in the work that Jesus has done, rejoice in the person of Jesus coming to this world, rejoice as no other people on the planet can rejoice. Because Jesus reveals God to us and he gives us a relationship uh, with God for all who believe. Lord God, um, as believers here this evening, I pray that we would uh, rejoice. And Lord, for those of us who who are not uh, believers, I pray, Lord God, that this um, look at the book of Mark uh, would be thrilling and exciting and eye opening and challenging um, that we might know the love of God for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you bless us now in our time together. I pray in your name. Amen. So as we start, um, I'm just going to read the first verse of the book of Mark, and it goes like this. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's, it, it's, we're just going to focus on uh, what the Bible calls uh, good news, um, and, and it's good news that we need to hear today, because for all of us, our lives have got a whole lot more uncertain. It's as though the coronavirus has taken all our plans for the future and thrown them in the bin. Everything we once saw as certain is now a game of complete make-believe. Our worldview is in tatters. And some of us are struggling emotionally. Some of us are struggling with how the lockdown has affected our relationships with those in our families. And then there's the greatest unknown. Some of us are deeply afraid of what will happen if we were to die. So Mark is saying we need to hear this good news. We need to know who God is and how we can have a relationship with him, both so we have an anchor in this life and a certainty for the life to come. You see, that first verse of Mark's book is a massive spoiler alert. Mark tells us, without any apology, exactly what the whole of his book is about. It's like he's too excited to keep it a secret. Jesus has come to this world, and he is the best news that we could ever hear. That's what he means by that word gospel. Gospel means mind-blowing good news. It was, a, it was a, a Roman word used to describe the best news in their world, like the news that a war had ended or a new emperor had come to the throne. And for many of us, news of that magnitude is hard to imagine. But let me help you do that by imagining how we would feel when we hear the news that we're all desperate to hear right now. Imagine how we'd feel if the government announced on the 10 o'clock news tonight 
that an amazing new vaccine had been found for the coronavirus and that tomorrow the lockdown will lift at 8 a.m. Could you imagine the celebrations in the street tomorrow morning at eight o'clock? Could you imagine the feeling in our own hearts, freedom? Well, that is the kind of celebration that Mark wants us to have in mind when he talks about gospel news. But that leads us to wonder, why is Jesus described as such news as by Mark? Well, Mark's answer in the opening verse of his book is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by that, he means Jesus is God's promised one who is equal to God in power and authority. Those names, Messiah and Son of God, were titles that Jews would have recognised as divine titles. So Mark's opening sentence is a staggering claim, isn't it? From the starting blocks, Mark comes out with one of the most outrageous claims in all of history, the claim that Jesus is God. And it's outrageous because either it's really funny or it's really serious. So I remember in the early 90s, there was a popular BBC sports presenter called David Icke. Uh, He was a respected household name till he began to call himself the son of the Godhead. And he was ridiculed. And I can remember being astounded when I heard his news and then laughing for a long time, because not only did he claim to be God, but he also claimed to be uncovering an alien conspiracy to take over the world. Uh, But even now, he tours the UK lecturing about his conspiracy theories and claiming to be divine. In other words, David Icke is living proof that if you want to stick your neck out with a big claim, you've got to back it up with credible evidence. Otherwise, it's laughable. But, you know, Mark is joyously serious about Jesus's deity because he's seen Jesus with his own eyes. And what he's seen is someone who claims to be God and someone who backs up that claim with power and authority and love. And it means that just because Jesus is God, the guessing games about God can stop. All our thinking about God, all those times we've said, well, I think God is a bit like this or a bit like that. All those times can be chucked out the window because Jesus has revealed God to us in person. And he's amazing. Now, now it might be. Uh, you're watching this thinking that God doesn't exist. Well, Mark is saying, just just look at Jesus. Look at him properly, uh, because he's the only person who has ever lived to have a historical and credible claim to be divine. And Mark wants us to see that for ourselves. Now, in a minute, we're going to look at a passage from Mark's gospel uh, in a bit more detail. But, you know, we're going to pause there. We're going to carry on. Um, with the the final section of this evening, uh, where I'd like to explain what Mark is trying to do in the first half of his book. Um, And I'd like us to to use two headings in order to do that. Um, The first heading is Jesus is God because he's got God's power and authority. Jesus is God because he's got God's power and authority authority. So in the first half of his book, Mark wants us to look at Jesus and and suss him out. He wants us to see that Jesus is God because he's God, God's power and authority. And that's why Mark opens his book with a barrage of situations where Jesus proves his authority. Jesus has authority over sickness, people, over nature, over demons. 
He even has the authority to forgive sins. In other words, what Mark wants us to see in the first few chapters is that when Jesus tells people or nature or demons to do things, he has to be obeyed, obeyed without question and without fail. That's just who he is. And Jesus also, interestingly, in this first half, has total confidence in his own authority. He, he reveals that so often. So in, in Mark uh, chapter 5, verse 21, a synagogue ruler called Jairus comes to Jesus to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus's response is to say, OK, I'll go with you. On their way to Jairus's daughter, they're told the saddest news that she'd passed away. And this is how Jesus responds to the mourners. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. And and then to re-emphasise what he meant by that, this is what happens in verse 38 of Mark chapter 5. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, now, when you think about it, what Jesus says here is either crassly insensitive or prodigiously self-confident. The, the right response to this kind of news is sadness. It's sympathy. But what Jesus says here is provocative. It's not a neutral statement. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Jairus, I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I can't believe Actually, Mark records that Jesus is so provocative that the people gathered outside Jairus's house forgot they were meant to be there mourning and they find themselves laughing at Jesus. The girls just died and Jesus's response was to tell her father to believe in him and everyone laughed. The crassness of Jesus was off the charts. It's a David Icke moment, isn't it? Jesus's claim is preposterous. But then it isn't, because Mark tells us what happens next. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So Jesus backed up his claim to be divine with divine power and authority. There's no trickery here. This is not some illusionist trying to play games. Genuinely, Jesus genuinely brings this dead girl back to life as easily as as if he were waking her from sleep. All the people are astonished. All the people recognise in him there is power and authority that is supernatural. And that's the first thing that Mark wants us to see in this first half of his book. He wants us to see that Jesus is the son of God, full of God's power and full of God's authority. But the second thing that Mark wants us to do in this first half of his book is answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? And that's my second point. Who do you say Jesus is? Mark, you see, records two responses to his questions from people who are around at the time. And they're really helpful for showing us how we relate to what we see of Jesus. 
The first is a response from those who didn't accept what Jesus' power and authority meant. The first, first response is to see Jesus as a threat, not a promise. So in Mark 3, verse 22, we're told this. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub, the devil. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Now, it's one of the most tragic conclusions about Jesus, because having seen all the evidence and accepted that Jesus has supernatural power, they say that Jesus is the devil. And they're not superstitious. They're they're not country bumpkins. The teachers of the law were the educated and the cynical elite of the time. They'd witnessed Jesus heal and they'd seen him, they'd heard his teaching and they'd seen him cast out demons. But they come to a tragic conclusion that Jesus' power came from the devil. And even more tragically, when Jesus points out the ridiculousness of this claim, that, that if the devil were casting out demons, he'd be shooting himself in the foot. They reject him even further. Their hearts become more and more hardened. Why is that? Well, when you look carefully at them, you realise quite quickly that they reject Jesus because he challenges their spiritual authority. He teaches about God like someone who is God. Which means Jesus is a threat to their authority. They don't like that. And even more than a threat to their religious authority, Jesus, by showing that he was divine, was also showing he had a rightful claim to have authority over their lives, as well as their faith. And they were no idiots. They could see the link. If Jesus is from God, then he has to be the highest authority, even over them personally. That's probably the bigger reason why they rejected Jesus. They didn't want to let go of their autonomy their self-reliance. And that response to Jesus is one we still see today, especially amongst hardened atheists and religious churchgoers. It it might be that we've been coming to church for years. It, It might be that we're a young person and we've grown up with stories and we now see those stories like tales of Beedle the Bard. It's fair to say that the common ground you have with these religious leaders is that you know who Jesus is. But whatever godly Christians say about him, you're going to keep him at arm's length. You like to do God your way. And the reason you do that is because Jesus' power and authority threatens our deepest desire for autonomy. His power and authority challenges our hearts, hearts that are longing to live in this world without a higher authority, without a final accountability, without God. That's why the religious authorities rejected Jesus. And it's why so many people today reject Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is rarely rejected because people find him just underwhelming. Most people reject Jesus because deep down they reach the right conclusion. Jesus is God. He's got God's authority and God's power. But that's a threat, not a promise. It's a sad response, but if it strikes a chord, please carry on listening, because the second point outlines why Jesus is not a threat, why his authority gives freedom rather than slavery. 
So the second response to Jesus is to see his power as a promise, not a threat. To see his power as a promise, not a threat. In the middle of Mark's gospel, Mark tells us how much Jesus wants his disciples to see his power as a promise rather than a threat. So there's this amazing discussion towards the end of chapter eight, beginning at verse 27. Faye read it earlier. But let me read it to you again, uh, just very briefly. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So there's that question, who do you say Jesus is? And this leads us to the second response to Jesus, to see his power and authority as a promise and not a threat. Peter, in reply to Jesus's initial question, who do people say I am, offer a number of options. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Interestingly, they're all positive, aren't they? But none of them fully explains all that they had seen over the year or so that they had been with Jesus. And then Peter has a light bulb moment. He gets it. He says Jesus is the promised Messiah from God. In other words, he puts everything together and realises that Jesus is God's promised saviour of the world, come in power and authority. Now, I'm only speaking on the first half of Mark's gospel. Rui's going to speak on the second half next Sunday evening, which helps us see what Jesus is come to do. But just listen as Mark records how Jesus goes on to explain what he means when he says he's God's promised saviour. Verse 31 says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. As Messiah, Jesus has come into the world to die and rise again. And therefore, rather than being a threat, rather than being someone who has come like a dictator to demand allegiances on pain of death and force of will, Jesus has come to love and sacrifice and give us real life. His coming in power and authority makes it possible to live in relationship with God. It takes God to do that. And next week we'll see how he actually does it. How does that make sense of our lives here and now? Well, it means that Jesus is the king of a greater kingdom and he wants us to be part of that kingdom. We can do that by recognising the king, Jesus, son of God. And by calling him our king, we accept that he has the right to rule over us with the love that he has for this world. And truth be told, it took the disciples three years and the death and resurrection of Jesus to understand fully what belonging to Jesus's kingdom means. So don't worry if this is the first or second time you've heard this gospel news, but you still don't understand and still don't want to call Jesus your king. That's nothing new. But Mark's advice is to keep reading about Jesus, because as we do so, we'll begin to see who he is, who he is for, for ourselves. So Mark is not wrong. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And for our world today, there's no greater news than to know God has come to us so that we might know him. 
And for those of us who do know him, isn't it a privilege to be reminded that our God did come into this world? And it's a privilege that because of him, we can speak to God in our time of need, in our world that's so desperate for an anchor. And through all the uncertainty, we have certainty that our God loves us enough to become one of us because he loves us. So this evening, can I encourage you to get hold of the book of Mark, find a Bible or, or, or even apply online for a rest to post one to you and read it. Read it a, a couple of chapters at a time um, leading up to, um, to Easter. And as you do so, do two things for me. The first is look again at how people respond to Jesus, just with astonishment, with delight, with fear at some times. And you'll realise their real responses of real people who have really encountered someone who is extraordinary and, 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 and doing extraordinary things. The other thing is just recognise um, how real Mark is being, how it challenges us to look at Jesus afresh. And as we do so, may we rejoice once more that God the Son has come into this world and that is extraordinary news. But I'm not going to ruin it for you because next week uh, Rui is going to share w- with us um, how how it is that Jesus makes it possible for us to know God personally. I'm going to pray now um, and, and then we'll close our service there. Dear Father God, we praise you and worship you that Jesus has come. We praise you and worship you that he has come with this great claim and this great proof, the claim that he is God the Son and the great proof that he is God the Son, come with power and authority. We thank you that men and women um, uh, throughout the first half of the book of Mark are astonished at him, are are afraid of him. Those who are desperate to see him and, and nearly crush him to death because of a stampede to see him. Lord God, Jesus Jesus comes into this world and blows our minds. God genuinely has become man. And we worship Jesus this evening together. And Father God, we praise you that um, in our uncertain times, here is our anchor. And Lord God, we're not dealing with... Um, hypotheticals we're not dealing with fairy tales we're not dealing with uh, with made-up stories or or chinese whispered stories we are dealing with history the historical person of jesus who claimed to be god who proved he was god that we might know god lord we thank you for your love we thank you for your care we thank you for your son jesus christ Son of God. Father, we praise you this evening uh, for this short reminder um, and this great, wonderful good news that Mark shares with us. I pray, Lord God, that we would um, look at it afresh um, over the coming week once more to to rejoice and and relish uh, reading about Jesus, our Saviour. I pray that we, each of us, would take this challenge um, and, uh, and enjoy 
once more reading about Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much uh, for, 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 for logging. Uh, I need to say coming here this evening, uh, for logging in uh, this evening. It's just been a real privilege um, to, to share uh, this time with everybody. Um, thanks to Andy, who's set this up and uh, who is kind of doing all the technical things in the background. Um, and, and it's been a, a wonderful time uh, just to fellowship with everybody. Um, thank you once again. Um, I hope you have a good week in the coming week. Um, God bless. Take care.